1: hey folks welcome welcome to socal live here on kkla well you know what you have another pinch hitter today yep another guest host so allow me to take a moment to introduce myself my name is jerry schimmel i'm doing this broadcast remotely from denver colorado where i've been a resident for the last 32 years i guess now have a long career in radio and tv most of that is in sports and spent twenty years in the NBA. I did the Minnesota Timberwolves on the game on the, ra- the on the radio for two years, and then the Denver Nuggets for eighteen seasons. And then in two thousand ten, I switched over to baseball, my first love, and spent ten years doing radio for the Colorado Rockies. So twenty years in the NBA, ten in Major League Baseball. In two thousand and nineteen, I sort of semi retired. Now kind of back in the business because I missed it so much doing sports, and also always had this desire. To do Christian radio. So here's my opportunity. I'm with you today for the next couple hours on SoCal Live. Tomorrow, the same way. These days, I have a radio show, national radio show called Amazing Americans. I also am the radio voice of the University of Northern Colorado Bears. You've heard of us, right? The Bears in Greeley, Colorado. I know you have. I'm doing their games at their football games and their basketball games as well. I can tell you this right now I'm not a pastor. I don't have a seminary degree, but I am a crazy follower of Christ. And let me quickly tell you the story of how I got from point A to point B, because I can tell you guys this. This is, honestly, I thought about this this morning when I was thinking about coming on the air with you today. This is really the last place I thought I would be 32 years ago. And I mean that. I think Frank Sontag probably said the same thing to you guys at one time. This is the last place, uh, Christian radio, are you kidding me? The last place I thought I would be. I survived a plane crash back in 1989 that completely changed my life. And before that plane crash, I had no spiritual foundation whatsoever. Raised Catholic, but never was serious about that religion and never went to church. And I was all about myself and about my career. And I was on ESPN at, I think, age 25 or 26 and thought I would be the next... Al Michaels or Bob or somebody, and, you know, be rich and famous, and everybody would bow down to me. And then I was in this plane crash in 1989 where 112 people died. It was in Sioux City, Iowa, United Airlines Flight 232. 112 people died, including my boss, who was traveling with me at the time. Um, Everybody around me in that plane died. The little boy in front of me, the guy on my left, the woman across the aisle, the guy behind me. I'm surrounded by a circle of people who died in this plane crash, and I came out without any serious injuries. And for about a year after that crash, I struggled, not, not necessarily physically, I had some injuries, some back issues, but nothing serious at all, just struggled with why, why did this thing happen? Why did this thing disrupt my life and this career path that I was on that I was going to be so great with? Why, why, why? And I could not get those answers. And about ten months after the crash, I sat down on a chair one day and realized that I had been knocked down. I quit my job. I was working in sports administration. Quit my job. My marriage has fallen apart. I had six brothers and sisters. My parents were alive at that time. wasn't even talking to them. I was in self pity, wallowing it, and in, in depression. And finally realized I knocked down for the first time in my life. And I set back up, and I in my life, and just give me some relief from this crash. Not to save my marriage, get a new job, or come out of this depression that I was in and uh, any any kind of overcoming of the uh, symptoms of post-trauma stress disorder, which I was suffering from, but it's got just me some kind of relief. And he did that that day. And uh, I, I realized that if I wanted to be is I I was this new person after I surrendered myself. This new person, and my wife was a beautiful Christian woman. It had been so from the day I met her, and I kind of went along with that and went to church with her once in a while because I was in love with her, and I wanted to to spend the rest of my life. You know what, by the way, uh, guys especially, uh, tell me, if I'm wrong, but love is an incredible emotion, isn't it? It's an incredible emotion. It makes you go to church with a woman. That's how strong that emotion of love is. Anyway, started going to church, and then I just started asking questions, and I realized that if I wanted to be like my wife, to have my sins forgiven, my spot in heaven secured, I had one more extremely important decision to make. And a couple of weeks later, after I sat down in that chair that first time, I sat back down in that chair and said something like a sinner's prayer. Just told God that I believe Jesus was His Son. I wanted to take up him, take residence in my heart. I wanted my sins forgiven, my spot in heaven secured. I wanted Jesus. I wanted salvation. And you know what, guys? It is the greatest decision I have ever made in my life. Are you kidding me? To know exactly where you're going to leave this earth, to have every sin you ever committed, white, clean, God says, what an amazing way to live. And better yet for all of us, what an amazing way to die. That's my quick uh, testimony. Um, and my wife said this a couple of years ago, and I think it makes so much sense. For listeners in Southern California that are tuning in today, I know you have your own plane crash. My wife says this, and I think it's so true. Everybody has their own plane crash. It might not be what you went through as bad as what I went through. It might be worse than what I have gone through. I have friends who buried a daughter, a five-year-old daughter, not too long ago. I would... <laughs> I give up a 1,000 plane crashes not to have to bury one of my children. I have two of them. Everybody has their own plane crash, so when I talk about mine, I'm not trying to downgrade yours because you have your plane crash as well. All right. On this show, I am told <laughs> in training that one of the things we do, one of the important things we do is look at the news and the issues of the day and take a Christian perspective, kind of a Christian pass at them, It kind of – Try to look at them through a Christian lens, and today we have this persisting news called COVID-19. I'll bet you heard of it. Vaccinations and mandates and all the stuff that goes along with COVID these days is in the news every single day as it should be is taken over the world. Today, I would like to do this. I'd like to ask the question: should I get vaccinated? And I have, and you're asking yourself that. If you haven't already, you're probably wondering if you should. If you've been vaccinated, I'm guessing you probably don't regret that. But you had to make the decision to get vaccinated or not. Should I get vaccinated? Now, let's put aside the debate just for a moment whether the government should be able to mandate vaccinations. But let me ask you this question because I'm intrigued by this. Are you influenced by religious leaders and their take on vaccinations? Are you influenced by religious leaders and their take on vaccinations? You can give me a call. Love to hear from you. 888-LA-TALKS is our number. 888-528-2557. 888-LA-TALKS. Now, some religious leaders in various religions have publicly stated they are against vaccinations for various reasons. And many have backed the idea of getting vaccinations for COVID and have encouraged others To do so as well in the Catholic Church, for example, the Pope has urged people to get vaccinated. Very public about that. Greg Laurie, who's on this program, who was on the station with his program, has urged folks to get vaccinated through his ministry. And I started thinking about it this morning when I read this article about one of the most admired and respected religious leaders of the past 50 years. I saw the name, the most respected and admired religious leader of the past 50 years in america is billy graham that's no surprise probably anybody right and his son franklin graham they are two different people i get that is urging people to get the covid 19 vaccine in a recent interview with abc news which examined the divide within the christian community about vaccines graham endorsed vaccines he shared that he has been given the vaccine believes pastors should encourage their congregations to do so as well he says quote i hope the pastors in the, in the pulpit would tell people how they can be saved from God's judgment, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, Graham said. But I think for a pastor to tell someone not to take the vaccine is problematic because that would happen. What would happen if that person died? Then the pastor responsible. Graham is the president of Samaritan's Purse, of course, and the president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, used his father, the most admired religious leader in the past 50 years in America, as an example, sharing that his father believed in modern medicine. Graham, who was uh, Billy Graham, was born at the height of the 1980, uh, 1918 flu pandemic, lost some family members because of that. And Franklin says anytime there was a vaccine or something that could help protect you, he was an advocate for it. I believe it is consistent with scripture that we protect our lives and do whatever we can to save life lives, Graham said. He also expressed that vaccines are a proof of God's love. I thank God, he says, for doctors and researchers that they have put the time in, effort and money to develop these vaccines. I hope that the American people will use them, Graham said. So, here's the question for you. I want to throw out there. Are you influenced by religious leaders such as Billy Graham and Franklin Graham, or should we when it comes to the vaccine war? 888-LA-TALKS is the number. 888 888- LA Talks. Let me get your take on that. Let's assume that maybe you have a church you attend. Maybe you don't attend a church, but if you did attend a church on a regular basis and you have a pastor there you really respect and and you admire and you maybe take advice from, would you do that if you said, hey, go get vaccinated? I'd I'd like your, your take on that. Uh, the former church I went to had a pastor there that I highly respected, became good friends with, and uh, he, if he would get on the pulpit because it seemed like this guy was always right, he was just like the mouthpiece of God, but he 'd get on the pulpit and he would say something like, "Hey, I really think you should get vaccinated," I would take that to heart i I really would, and maybe you 're in that group as well, maybe you and you have to make the decision for yourself. I understand that. But do religious leaders, people from the pulpit, people like Franklin Graham, and maybe going back, uh, Billy Graham, do they influence you in one way or the other to either get the vaccine or not get it? All right, 888-LA-TALKS is our number. Give me a call and let me know what you think. Uh, I want to preview something as well in our next segment. I think we have a special treat. At least I think it's a special treat. I talked to this guy one other time, and I think you'll be fascinated by it. Luke Zamparini, does that name sound familiar? Maybe the last name does, because he is the son of Louis Zamparini, who you probably heard of, the Olympic hero, the World War II hero, and the subject of that film, Unbroken. Uh, what was not shown in the film, if you watched Unbroken, it was wildly successful, by the way. I think it was the third uh, highest grossing movie of 2015. But what wasn't shown in the movie was that when he, Louis Zamperini, Uh, came back from the war as that war hero, he started having problems. He had problems with alcohol and problems in his marriage. And he went to a Billy Graham evangelistic outreach event, a rally, and he walked up to the front and made a decision for Christ. It was Billy Graham's crusade that got Louis Zamperini to become a Christian. And he spent the rest of his life, by the way. That was in 1952. He spent the rest of his life... As an evangelist, he was out there proclaiming the gospel. After he came back and went through these issues with alcoholism and other things in his life, and he has he has Billy Graham to thank. He was very public about it, but that was not in the movie. That was that was uh, cut out in the movie. And uh, Luke Zamperini was gonna is going to talk about that. And Luke is carrying on the work of his father, Louis Zamperini. Uh, he's doing a number of things. He's got the, the Louis Zamperini Foundation that he runs and doing some other things as well, and really focusing on troubled youth in America, and especially in Southern California. So I think you'll find our next segment, we'll bring uh, Luke Zamperini on. I think you'll be fascinated by what he has to say about his father. And that influence came from Billy Graham, who, as I said, is the, the most admired religious leader of the past 50 years in America. Let me get your take on that. 888 888- L.A. Talks, again, that number is 888-528-2557. You want to give us a call and just give me your take on that. As well in the program, we are going to, in the second hour, uh, take a look at some other issues in the world today, but have a special interview as well with a man you've never heard of that runs a nonprofit in Nebraska, small town in Nebraska. They're going to blow you away, and it's a Christian-based uh, based, uh uh event as well and the stuff that they're doing uh humanitarian wise is just absolutely crazy all right let's get the phone let's take a call or two here let's get to uh chris in la chris you're on socal live with jerry schimmel how you doing chris
2: i'm doing great thank you um you know about covid 19 i i am not vaccinated uh my wife got vaccinated i know other people have been vaccinated but i don't feel led to get vaccinated i'm 62 this month and you know, I'm diabetic too. I don't, I'm not persuaded by Frank Graham saying that he recommends
1: it. Is is there anybody in your life, Chris, that would tell you that you respect and you would take to heart, hey, you know what, Chris, you really should get vaccinated. If if that one person you really respected said that to you, how would you react?
2: No, I would receive it. I mean, because I know they love me and care and uh, you know think they're, they're, they're what's best for me and they're sharing i i i don't have a problem with that i'm respectful of people who, like my wife and family members are pretty much all vaccinated i think that's fine for myself i i'm not interested in getting vaccinated and i get tested twice a week all
1: right i got you and i respect that i really do and uh, tell me the reason for that why why you're well, resisting the idea of getting vaccinated and i'm saying you're right or wrong i'm really not i'm just curious
2: sure, no I don't You know, I actually have three friends, colleagues that, that work for L.A. County Health Department, Environmental Health. And so that's their background in the field. They're educated in that. So I, I went to three of my friends and spoke to them. And one got vaccinated because he's um, 70, he's up in age, so, and he gets a flu vaccine. So it's a virus. But the two other people who are actually younger and one close to my age, they actually are not going to get it. And, and it's based on their... Uh, education. They're also Christian, and they're not going to, they don't feel
1: that it warrants, um, you know, the, the vaccine. I, I got you. I, I respect that, uh, and I totally understand. Uh, Chris, I thank you for calling. I really do. Have a great rest of your day. Let's get back the phone and talk with Nate. Nate is in LA as well. Nate, welcome to the show, Nate. Thanks for calling in.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: How about you? If a religious leader uh, that you respected uh, well, says without, you should get vaccinated, well would you yeah.
4: do
3: it? No, uh, I wouldn't take my pastor's advice if he was to urge me to get vaccinated. I totally trust in God, and I believe even if he was to, you know, bring it upon me, and I got it, that I would pull it through successfully. So I, don't, I just don't believe me. I don't take medications of any kind. unless it's really, really necessary. That's just how I've always been. I have a great immune system that hasn't let me down this far, so I feel no need to take it.
1: Hey, I got you. I, I'm totally with you. Uh, I I had that thought for a while, and then my wife is just, she's so high risk that we decided to get it. But I respect where you're coming from, and uh, thank you for the telephone call. Let's get back the phone, and let's uh, get in with Kim. 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 Let's see. Kim, yeah, Kim is Hi. there. Kim, welcome to the show. Welcome to SoCal Live with Jerry Schummel. Thanks for calling.
5: Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'll get to it real fast. Um, I have... Uh, a medical, a four-year medical pre-med degree. I'm not a doctor. Um, I understand the science. I have dived into the science. If a pastor was being so emphatic about me going and getting it and and, and the way that Graham has been forcing this, I've really, to answer your question, I have stopped, um, really, I, I have lost a lot of faith in him. I do not agree with him, and I I really feel like his wisdom in this situation is very poor. I used, it's, it's not a blanket, I just do whatever they say now. I'm starting to question all the people that I have always had faith in in the past, and it's really caused a crisis of, of faith for a lot of people. I'm grounded in my faith, but I'm very disappointed in what I am seeing from some— if a pastor were to say that, I would almost probably stop sitting at their feet in worship and in learning and go elsewhere. That's how strong I feel about it. And I know I'm not alone.
1: You're not alone, Kim. In fact, I I was thinking this is going to come up that it was people getting beat over the head by their, their pastors, religious leaders to, to have the opposite effect that, Hey, I'm so talk. I'm so tired of you talking about this. You're shoving it down my throat. I'm going to go the opposite way. So I'm not at all, Kim surprised by your reaction.
5: Let me, do you have a second? I can tell you a story that was just rocked my world. Um, sure. I had just driven by in middle school, and a 13-year-old boy had died of unknown heart complications. This was on um, October 29th. Um, read through it. They didn't know he'd had the vaccine. So, okay, and I'm putting that into my hopper here, thinking I was you know in my thoughts. My husband injured himself in December. I took him to the hospital. He plays hockey. I was at the hospital at 1130 at night. I was the only person in the parking lot in this hospital down in San Diego, and it's very dramatic. I saw the, the, um, the ambulances come in. I saw these parents run into the emergency room. My heart starts shaking. I, I, I get so upset when I see this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. My husband, because they wouldn't let me in, he texted me. He goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, I'm sitting by the desk with the nurses. I just overheard them. A 15-year-old boy is coming in with a code blue. And so I you know I, I just started praying. I didn't know what you know I, 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 you know what do you do? And it could have been fentanyl or something like that, but anyways, um, time went on. Parents came outside, and the, they were just beside themselves, as anyone can imagine. I went up to them. I was the only one in the parking lot with them, and I just said, "Hey, I don't know you, but I, I think that code blue went out for your your child. Can I pray?" And the mother just immediately piped up and started crying, and I started praying. Um, so after the prayer, um, the mother just started power walking around the parking lot. She couldn't do anything. You know, he goes, our son is, you know, completely, he goes, he just had a massive heart attack. And I'm like, 15 year old boys don't have heart attacks. So we were there Mm. until like four in the morning. My husband broke his foot and he was, this young man was in emergency open heart surgery. And I Mm. cannot completely confirm that he'd had the vaccination, but I'm sorry. That doesn't happen to fifteen-year-old boys. Who knows a fifty? That doesn't happen, and everybody across this country is seeing this kind of thing happen. If they cannot wake up, then I I don't know what we can. What we? Everybody I know knows somebody who's had some kind of. Well, Graham had the myocarditis. He had some kind of cardiac event, but he's telling people to go and get it. I, I don't. There's like a cognitive dissonance going on that is absolutely. Um, beyond me. It's almost, uh, a, I don't know, a spiritual nature yeah. or something, but I have no idea. I, it's made me lose a lot of faith in these leaders. That's that's where I'm coming from. As you can tell there's a lot of emotion in it, because yeah. um, I've seen it firsthand.
1: Gotcha, Kim. Hey, thanks for sharing that story. I appreciate it, and thanks for calling in. All right, we are going to take a break here. When we come back, like I said, we have a special treat for you. Uh, Luke Zamperini is going to join us. His father is Louis, the Olympic hero, World War II hero, subject of the film Unbroken, later in life an evangelist, doing tremendous work for the Lord and for Jesus. And his son Luke, an L.A. resident, today carries on his father's work. We'll do that next. Stay with us. This is SoCal Live. In American history, there have been many, many war heroes. My dad was actually, well, you've never heard of my dad, but he was one. In American history, there have been many, many Olympic heroes as well. But rarely are they the same person. My guest today is the son of one of those rare people. I'm guessing you've heard of Louis Zamperini, the former Olympian and World War II hero, and the subject of the wildly popular movie Unbroken. And then later on in his life, he was an evangelist. We lost Louis Zamperini in 2014, right before the film came out, by the way. But his son, Luke, who's on the line with me today, carries on his father's incredible work. And Luke is on the line, and Luke, I want to ask you, your late father is known as that sports hero and war hero and later an evangelist, but I remember you telling me this one time when I talked to you a while back, and I love this. You said, yeah, war hero, track and field hero, but he was also just a great dad. (laughs) Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Well, uh, yes, Jerry, and thank you for having me on the show. You bet. Good to talk to you again. And, yes, well, uh, he was my hero, not because he was a great athlete, or a war hero, but he was just a really great dad. He was there for me and my sister. Uh, He uh, taught us everything. He taught me uh, how to ski, how to drive a car. He taught me how to cook and sew and look after myself. And he was there to bind up our wounds when we came home uh, from uh, having too much fun.
1: (laughs) Uh, When did you first, Luke, sort of realize, if you have this memory, that your dad was somebody different, somebody famous, this hero that people looked up to. Was
3: that a moment for you ever? Uh, well, I'd been aware of his fame my entire life. Uh, so I had to have been like three or four years old when it began to dawn on me that he was special to a lot of people. And, uh, and uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I believe I've always been aware of his celebrity.
1: The film Unbroken comes out uh, right after your father passed away. And, and Luke, you've got to share this story about uh, the producer of the film, a very f- famous actress, uh, crawling into the hospital bed with your dad and showing him the film on an iPad. Can you tell that story?
3: Uh, well, yes. Uh, Angelina Jolie was the director of the film Unbroken, and she shot the whole thing in Australia. And uh, when she came back, uh, my father had been in the hospital for a few days. Uh, so when she came back, she wanted to show him the film. So she came to the hospital late at night and crawled on his bed and opened her laptop up and and uh, showed him the film uh, up until the point where the Japanese uh, had uh, captured him. And uh, so, you know, the next day he was in intensive care. and I didn't really have a chance to ask him what he thought of the film but uh, asking um, Angelina about some of the questions he asked her and some of the statements he made, I I knew he enjoyed the film. And I I think he enjoyed it uh, almost as much as he enjoyed uh, having Angelina sitting on his bed. I
1: love it. What did you and your sister think about the film?
3: Uh, Well, uh, my sister, and myself, and my entire family, we, we, we enjoyed the film, we liked the film, but what we noticed was... Of course, she didn't tell the whole story. Mm. Uh, And she told me that there just wasn't enough time to do his post-war life uh, uh, any justice. Mm. And uh, so we actually uh, ended up making a sequel to the film. Uh, The same producer, different director. uh, But uh, my sister and I were also producers on this film. And this was called Unbroken Path to Redemption. And uh, it uh, explored his life after he got home from the war with his uh, PTSD and alcoholism and his coming to faith uh, in the Billy Graham tent meeting. It, it, as a matter of fact, uh, the guy who got to play Billy Graham is his grandson, uh, Bill Graham. Oh, wow. And uh, so uh, he was very nervous about acting. And uh, I said, well, you don't have to act. You just have to do what you do every day, Will. Hmm. You preach a sermon. The only difference is you're preaching a sermon from 1949. And uh, I think he did a great job.
2: Hmm.
1: Did your dad ever talk to you about that, Luke? Did he ever talk about that experience with Billy Graham and the crusade?
3: Um, Yes, he did. He uh, he was, of course, my dad loved to talk about his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all the time. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, uh, and uh, he talked about uh, going into the tent meeting. My mom conned him into going. (laughs) And uh, he didn't want to go, didn't like being there. And when uh, uh, he got to a certain point in the sermon where, uh, you know, Graham was talking about us being sinners and needed redemption, he stormed out. Mm -hmm. And my mom convinced him to go back a second time, and he said, well, look, when it gets to the point where I'm offended again, we're we're leaving. She says, okay, it's fine, as long as you go with me. And uh, so the second night, uh, he got to the same point where he starts to, to he thrown out of the tent, and as he's making his way to the aisle, he hears uh, uh, Graham saying something like, when you get to the end of your rope and you have no place else to turn, that's when people turn towards God. Mm. And that did it. That, that reminded him about a prayer he had on the life raft, and he repeated several times throughout the, the prison camp experience, that if God would get him home alive uh, from this experience that he was seeking to serve him all his life, and he felt really bad, because God had taken care of his part of the bargain, Louis he was alive and home, but uh, but uh, Dad hadn't taken care of his part of the bargain. And then he just said he found himself up at the front of the stage where they have you know, people there to help you through the process. And uh, he told me that when he got off his knees after saying the sinner's prayer that uh, he knew he was uh, done fighting, he knew he was done drinking, and he knew he'd forgiven his captors, including the most heinous of all captors, of his prison guards that was uh, Amutihiro Watanabe, otherwise known as the bird. And what was remarkable about this evening is up until this point, his PTSD had been manifested in dreams he had. He would have a recurring nightmare every night He's he being beaten by the bird, and he ends up grabbing the bird around the throat and trying to choke the life out of him, and then he'd wake up in cold sweat. Mm. Well, that night, he went home from that tent meeting, and it was the first night in five years he hadn't had that dream, and he oh. never had again. His wow. PTSD was over in an instant. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, as much as I would love that uh, anybody who came to faith in Christ would lose their PTSD, it just doesn't happen that way, but it happened to my dad as a miracle that God put in his life as a testimony to uh, to the power of God. Wow.
1: So incredibly powerful, and, and such a shame that it was in the original movie, Unbroken. I mean, that's my personal opinion. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, after that that night with Billy Graham, the experience, they became friends, didn't they? Didn't you tell me that, Luke, that, that he and Billy Graham, your dad and Billy Graham, were pretty good friends after that?
3: uh they remained friends their entire lives yeah. and uh so because my father was somewhat famous uh at the time uh he was invited back on the stage to, to uh, give his testimony uh, some several nights later and then again uh whenever the crusade came to town he would uh, uh he would attend and uh, and give his testimony on stage
1: mm. one thing we and did we see in... I was just remain
2: say, good friends now
1: so. yeah, one thing I did see in the film early on, and you saw it too, everybody did Luke, was that the troubled youth that your father had, and I know later in life, after he had this experience, he decided he was going to to reach out to troubled youth and try to change their life. That was very meaningful to him, wasn't it?
3: Uh, yes, it was. Uh, he felt that uh, he was uh, he should have died in the war, he felt that his life was spared for a greater purpose. And so after, um, you know, he became a Christian, he went back to Japan, forgave his prison guards face to face, uh, came back to the States and started uh, a a, a nonprofit uh, called Victory Boys Camp. And he was dedicating his life to uh, helping at-risk youth uh, find their way to to salvation in Jesus Christ and have a better life for themselves Mm -hmm. and inspire them to make something out of themselves. And uh, he carried that mission on until really until he went into the hospital. The the last victory boy he helped was in 2014. And uh, this was a, a a kid that came to him that was strung out on heroin. And,
5: uh,
3: but this kid had also been invited to participate in youth with admission. Where they said they would help him to get off of his, uh, his drugs. And so So uh, my dad financed his trip down there, and, um, you know, the guy's a missionary now. Wow. so it was really the the last victory boy that my dad helped.
1: Wow. I had you on another show, radio show, a while back, and I had two listeners reach out to me after the program. I don't think I told you this, Luke, that said, oh, yeah, I'm a teacher, and uh, Luke's dad's story is part of our school curriculum. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Um, well, certainly. Uh, so when, when my dad passed on, uh, my wife, myself, and my son, uh, we we carried on his 501c3. and uh, We renamed it from the Vickery Boys Camp to the Lewis Anthony Foundation. And what we found was we found a teacher that had a remarkable curriculum that she put together for teaching the book Unbroken to her kids in uh, her class in Texas. And uh, so we... we uh, we went down there, we uh, video documented the whole thing, we contracted with her to put it all in writing, and it is now called the Louise Zamperini Foundation Unbroken Curriculum, and we are getting it in schools across the country. We've uh, mm. we've about 400 schools so far, and uh, our goal, of course, is to get it into every school in the country, and it's about 15,000 school districts we need to get to. And uh, what it does is uh, the, the curriculum uses um, roundtable discussions for the kids to, as they read the book together aloud, they also discuss various themes and, and events in the book and uh, the certain exercises. And one of the, I uh, actually the, the at the end of the course, they, each kid gets a chance to write a letter to Louie And they this is really open themselves up. They're, they're encouraged to relate to Louis uh, how his story has affected their own struggles in their own lives. And it's really, it's, it's heartwarming, it's heartbreaking, uh, it's eye-opening, it, uh, it, uh, and sometimes they will actually read their letters aloud to the class, and this produces empathy in the classroom. Uh, so every kid that's gone through this curriculum, their life has changed. Mm. and uh, I I don't know of any exceptions to that.
1: Luke, thank you so much for taking the time again for me today and telling Dad's story, and I know you continue his great work. I I encourage you to keep doing that, but uh, keep telling this story, and thanks again for the time today.
3: Okay, Jerry, it it was a pleasure speaking with you again.
1: Luke Zamperini has been my guest, Louis' son, and uh, you, can, you can just tell, can't you? And I was thinking about this as he was talking. Uh, I lost my dad in 2014, who was also a World War II veteran. Miss him every day, and you can tell in Luke's voice, can't you? He misses his dad every single day as well. We'll take a break. We'll
4: come back with more on SoCal Live. Stay with us on KKLA. Hey, folks, welcome back to
1: SoCal Live. I'm your guest host, Jerry Schimmel. I'm today and tomorrow, so you're stuck with me for a couple of days here. And uh, I'd like to get your reaction. I hope you listened to our last segment. Luke Zamperini, Louie's son, talking about his father and then carrying on his legacy as well. And I'd love to get your reaction to what he had to say, and especially, and maybe more importantly, more specifically, about that greatest generation. People like me, I'm 62 years old, and just have this incredible admiration for anybody in that generation, that World War II generation, of uh, which my father was a part. And i got to tell you this quick story about my dad, because he is my World War II hero. Uh, if you have a thought about that, 888-525-2557, 888-LA-TALKS is our number if you want to chime in about the our vets and... It doesn't have to be World War II of the Greatest Generation. Uh, The folks based on that book by Tom Brokaw. Any vet you want to talk about, I welcome your call. Again, 888-LA-TALKS. Let me throw this quick story at you. This is just incredible. and I never get tired of uh, bragging about my late father. He would have been 95, I guess, uh, last month. Yeah, 95 years old. Anyway, I was probably 14 or 15 years old living in South Dakota, and my dad and I kind of did – uh, odds and ends with construction. And one day we we're putting a roof, replacing a roof on somebody's home and very hot day. Dad takes his shirt off and I had never noticed it before, but he's got this little hole, this sort of uh, scar that's like a hole uh, on his lower back, just above his hip. And I had never noticed that before. And I said, dad, what's that scar from? What's that hole? And he says, well, that's where I got shot. And I'm like, What? Are you serious? You got shot? What are you talking about? You've never told me that. You've never told anybody. When you, what do you mean you got shot? What happened? He goes, well, I got shot in the war in World War II. And I knew the story of that in World War II. He got drafted, and he was 17 years of age. He got drafted late in the war. They needed bodies, and he didn't even finish high school. They just gave him his diploma. And they sent him off to basic training, and they had to get him to the front so quickly because they were short of manpower. They didn't even send him to basic training. He is he was wonderful with ammunition and guns. He was he later became a gunsmith, but never got taught the basics of shooting a rifle and all that. They sent him uh, on his way over uh, to Europe. They said, hey, are you okay with the sight of blood? And he said, yeah, I'm fine with that. They said, okay, you're a medic. <laughs> Serious. True story. So dad tells him the story. He said, yeah, got that's where I got shot. I said, who shot you? He said, well, a German shot me. So he's in Europe on the front line as a medic. And they go out to field to rescue a soldier, wounded soldier, and they put him on a stretcher. One guy is in front, my dad's in the back, and they start running away from the front line. And dad gets hit in the back with a German, uh, German soldier with a rifle. And I said, and he's telling me, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in awe. I'd never heard this story. And I'm 15 years of age, and I got six brothers and sisters. They've never heard this story. So I said, Dad, what happened? What'd you do? He said, Well, I dropped down to both knees. And then pain kind of went away, and I stood back up, and we kept going. You got got to be kidding me! Never told me about it. Never. It's a man who never complained about anything. And I said, Dad, that that's what people get purple hearts for. Let me write a letter or something, uh, people need to know about that. And he, was, he just sort of never gained a response. And I put this letter together, and I edited it about 15 times. And I was going to send it somewhere to Washington to try to get my dad recognized so he could be awarded some kind of medal. I was hoping it was a Purple Heart. So I edit this thing. It takes me about two weeks. I'm writing every single night. One day he shows up in my room, which I shared with three brothers, by the way. And he said, Jerry, um, I appreciate what you're doing, but I would rather you not send that letter. I said, Dad, why not? He said, The most important thing is I survived uh, that experience and I made it back to the States and I married your mom and I've got seven kids. We have a wonderful life and that's what's most important. I'm not going to worry about that other stuff. I don't need to be recognized. I just want to try to live my life as happy as I can. That's the mentality, folks, of those World War II veterans. Is it not? They're so humble. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to take any credit for it. They just want to say, hey, I serve my country, and, and that's good enough. Um, such respect that way. If you have a story like that or you want to share something about someone you know that might have been in a similar situation or that you just, a vet you respect, I'd love to hear from you. Again, the number is 888-LA-TALKS, 888-525-2557. Let's go to the phone. Let's talk to Dowell in L.A., Let's uh let's talk about Dow. Thanks for calling, Dal.
4: Hey, how you doing? Doing great. All right. Well, um, I'm I'm pleased to uh be here on this show and that my voice will be heard. Um my uh grandfather, as a matter of fact, uh served in the uh in World War II, and uh he was a sergeant. At first he was uh um uh, uh, training troops to be prepared, just as a story that you told uh, you know um, uh, with guns and and rifles and and different things that they would be prepared for when they went over yep. on the other side um, to back up a little bit, um, most of the people uh, from our neighborhood they got drafted, whether they had families or not, because um, my grandfather at the time had uh seven uh, seven children, him and my grandmother, and uh, they uh, they drafted him just the same. Um, he moved up in the ranks and became a, um, uh, a sergeant that would uh, train those that would uh, go overseas and fight in World War II. Um, when the uh, uh, toward the end of the uh, uh, the war, World War II, um, my grandfather was asked if if he would be willing to uh, go with a, a, a troop of a brand new or newly trained individuals uh, that he had trained. And um, he said, yes, I'll, I'll go. Mm. So uh, keeping in mind that he had a, a family of uh, seven children doing whatever, and um, a wife at home, um, he went with the, the last group of, of men that he trained. Um they were all assembled in in their troop and ready to uh board their ship um what happened though um regular individuals from the different um uh, armed forces uh they they went on the ship on a regular um what is it called a passageway mm-hmm. whether it was um you know a a bridge of some type with, with chains and they hold on with their equipment and their, their uh, gear and their weapons and whatnot. But um, my grandfather was a black man and he uh, had a troop of uh, newly trained um, black men. Um, So uh, Sergeant was the first one that had to take the gangplank. There was a a gangplank a piece of wood um, about uh, six inches wide that they had to balance themselves, their equipment, their weapons, on this gangplank. And uh, he, of course, being the sergeant leading this troop up to the ship that would deliver them over to uh, World War II, he uh, steadied himself and made his way up. And uh, as the men that were in front of him continued to go up. He was uh, going up, and when he he reached the very top, um, he had one foot on the gangplank and one foot on the ship. And just then he stopped cold because there was an announcement over the loudspeaker of the ship. The war is over. Oh, goodness. So he uh, immediately... Uh, directed his troops and uh, they all went back to their prospective homes because they were newly trained and they had just left and they were, you know, um, draft, draftees, dealing with whatever. And, and my, um, my grandfather was able to return to his wife and, and seven children. And um, at the end of the story, I thought it was interesting that, um, you had said that it was a, a bullet hole that they had uh, said that he had it. And yep. his main objective was to be uh, live a life. He didn't want to be recognized as one that ha- was honored with the the Purple Heart. Yeah. He, he didn't want to be recognized as somebody that had gone through that ordeal and— I keep on thinking how a similar parallel without a bullet my grandfather had escaped possible possibly dying such as this individual that had that that bullet in them and would have wanted to um, be recognized and got the accolades and 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 perhaps maybe uh, 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 some money uh, uh, a check till they die as far as uh, from the VA or, or what have yep. you. Uh, but my grandfather, uh, the sergeant of that troop, went home, and the happiest uh, time of his life was when he, he went home to his wife and, and, and seven children, and he did exactly that. Yeah. He was a plasterer in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he was one of the best plasters that they ever had. He was in the Union to uh, do plaster work, Mm -hmm. and uh, even when he was in his 80s. Oh, goodness. Best father, husband, and leader that he ever was.
1: I love it, Dal. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
4: All I want to say is, uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just lift up this program (laughs) and— The voice that uh, they hear, Father, is influenced by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Living God, and I thank you for Christ Jesus, who is my Lord and my Savior. And through all of that, I was able to come of one of those sons of that person, my father.
1: Amen, and my I friend. I got to let you go here. Uh, we're running out of time, but man, thanks for calling in and sharing that story. He's just part of that great, that greatest generation. They're all humble. They don't want to take any credit. They don't want any money. They just want to live their lives. you got to love it. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back in a moment and talk about this question. Is sports overemphasized in American society? Let's answer that question when we come back. You're listening to SoCal Live